This is a Squeeze podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. This week, our podcast is brought to you by Hubble, spelt H-U-B-B-L. It fuses streaming and free-to-air TV into a single experience, which means you don't have to go in and out of apps to discover content you'll love. Hubble, it's TV and streaming made easy. Saturday Squeeze is your shortcut to being informed weekend style. I'm Kate Watson. And I'm Claire Kimball. Claire, I'm um, sort of tuning Elizabeth Holmes with my voice this morning. <laughs> You've been deep. out smoking. <laughs> deep and husky. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm well, but yeah, I've lost, completely lost my voice. Bit so of a bug. Yeah, bear with me. But we will get through this. There's plenty to talk about. And we've decided the more I talk, the better it gets. So yeah. let's just go for let's it. Let's roll on through. Last week, Claire, we were heavy on politics. This week, barely a skerrick, not much about politics at all. We've got a bit of a history lesson as well as a conversation about the complicated world of AI. Yeah, the co-founder and the CEO of OpenAI was before a US congressional hearing this week. Super interesting. Super interesting is always a great way to describe something. It's yeah. a real hook, isn't it? Yeah, it is. <laughs> Not <laughs> overly used at all. <laughs> it is super interesting. And particularly interesting because he gave a warning that AI could actually be very dangerous, which is not something you hear a lot from someone who's mm. part of creating something. We also saw uh, a state in the US this week ban TikTok entirely. We'll touch on that a little bit. And Squeeze recommends, Claire, I cooked again. It's amazing. I can't wait to hear about it. Yeah, it's a sweet dish this time. Good one. We'll get into that. The most click link out of the Squeeze Today email this week, Claire, was a link to the Food Photography Awards, which blows my mind, of course, because now I know that Squeeze is not only like cooking, they like eating, they also like just looking at food. Yeah, you're the only one who doesn't know this about if you like food, you like all the aspects of it. And it's a really great gallery to have a look at and lots of big things with lovely textures and you can just almost taste it. Photography is great. There you go. Highly recommended from Claire. We'll put a link to that in your episode notes. Sadly, uh, one of the biggest stories of this week, Claire, was that Wellington um, hostel fire or just over the ditch, of course, in New Zealand. As it stands, six people have died, 20 are missing. An arrest was made during the week, Claire. Yeah, and lots of comparisons are being drawn, particularly here in Australia, about what happened in Wellington to what happened in Childers more than 20 years ago. It's a small town in Queensland Mm. uh, that was a really big tragedy in Australia that really changed how we do building safety here in Australia. And there's lots of questions about whether that might actually now happen in New Zealand. And the reason why we wanted to talk about this is we were, or you brought it up in a production meeting earlier in the week, and a number of people in the team Drew, drew a blank when it came yeah. to that Childers incident. It is a moment in history. It's one of the worst fire disasters in our history um, that, you, sh- yeah. you know, it's good to know about. Yeah, exactly. Uh, one, it made me feel very old. <laughs> That's okay. Because <laughs> I have such a clear... I would say wise. <laughs> oh, thank you. I have such a clear memory of it. Yeah. And to me, of course, as those things happen, that it feels like it was five years ago, 10 years ago, but 23 years ago, mm. which is quite a thing. Um, and second, it's like this sort of cycle in news. It all goes around. And it's a hostel, uh, some very vulnerable, low-income people living there, some real issues with how buildings are actually regulated uh, and the changes that can come out of it. So it felt like history repeating a bit. Should I give a little history lesson? So Childers, as you said, town in Queensland, 
it was the year 2000. Um, there were some hundred odd backpackers staying mm. in this hostel. Um, it was a fire was deliberately lit by a former mm. um, resident of that hostel. 15 people were killed, three Aussies, plenty of people from around the world as well, because of course they were in that town working. Yeah. Um, it was called the Palace Backpacker Hostel. Um, and obviously anyone listening from that part of the world will remember it very, very clearly. Yeah. And what happened that night? The windows were locked, the doors were locked, mm. people just couldn't get out. Uh, many did, but many didn't. And, of course, when we're talking about what happened in Wellington, they're discussing around whether internal sprinklers should be mandatory. Yeah, so that whole building safety conversation, but also just how could someone do this? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now that they've arrested someone, we'll hear, no doubt, a lot more about what all that means. Claire, the news story that got our chins wagging. You yep. and I a lot this week, actually, and <laughs> every week <laughs> since it launched. Yeah. Um, was the appearance of Sam Altman, as you said, the founder, co-founder yep. and CEO of OpenAI um, at, US, at a US congressional hearing. This is a committee hearing which regularly hauls up big tech CEOs. So we're talking Facebook, TikTok, mm. Google, very different tone to this appearance. Really was a different tone. In fact, they had the CEO of TikTok quite recently mm. and it went a bit viral because they were pretty bolshy with him, with the questions, and he was a little bit at sea about answering these really aggressive questions. I think we even talked about that in Saturday's Quiz, possibly, or even the local angle. Yeah, it was yeah. a big thing, that's yeah. for sure. We'll talk about TikTok again at the end of this segment. Yeah, mm. but when it came to this appearance, Sam Altman got a much smoother run. Uh, the committee seemed very genuinely interested in his guidance about how to deal with AI. Yeah, when you listen to his opening remarks in his testimony, and I got absolutely hooked. <laughs> when I started listening to this, I didn't watch it live, but I, mm. I, I had a listen um, earlier today. He literally dives straight into the hearing and the, mm. in his opening remarks by saying, we want to work with government. We want to be regulated. Help us do that. Mm. There's no beating around the bush with him at all. And the interesting thing is he dives right to the heart of the conversation, which is how AI can contribute to democracy or to its detriment. Yeah, and it's an acknowledgement that this is a really powerful tool that's yeah. being built. So uh, it's probably important to point out that OpenAI has been around for many years. So it's not just a new thing. 2015. Yeah, that's yeah. come on the scene. Uh, we already also use AI in a lot of things almost every day. So Siri. Siri. Exactly. For it's example. not a, it's yeah. not a new technology. Um, but, of course, with the rise of ChatGPT and these other sort of chatbots, whether it's Bard, whether it's a whole host of things, uh, unleashing it at a greater scale and at a scale where it can actually, as you say, have impacts on democracy, opinion, um, the way we actually seek information and receive information and what it says to us as the guiding principles mm. of what the internet says. Um, millions and millions of people are going to be exposed to this, if not billions, in a very short period of time. There's some stats on that. So, mm. It's the conversation is happening quickly because the uptake of this mm. is actually huge. Yeah. So it's not a technology that they're kind of testing and they're like, oh, a few people are using it. And it's yeah, kind we've of got a about. restricted trial no. or anything. So like. a million people tested ChatGPT in the first five days. Yeah. A hundred million people had tested it by the end of the first month. Yeah. Six months in, which is where we are now, it's in the hands of a billion people. Yeah. It's very popular. Now that Google is unleashing BARD, uh, now that Microsoft is doing more on its Bing search engine, uh, yeah, 
billions of people. So getting those guiding principles, as Sam Altman is saying, is going to be really important. We'll talk about what he asked for, but I wanted to also acknowledge that there were other people at this hearing. Yep. Uh, Christine Montgomery, in particular of IBM, she testified. She's the Chief Privacy and Trust Officer at IBM. So she looks after IBM's AI ethics board. So she's very embedded in Mm. this whole thing. She said in her opening remarks, and I found this, I don't know, a little bit... Hmm pointed, perhaps. The era of AI cannot be the era of move fast and break things. So very directed at Meta, at Mark Zuckerberg. Elon Musk. Elon Musk, exactly. And that is, as I said before, the heart of the conversation. Are these companies being responsible? Yeah. And there's so many points of view when it comes to this. And it's a conversation that really has to be had out in the Mm. open. Um, whether it's these chatbots, whether it's, you know, as we just touched on, um, seeking and receiving information human to almost human. Mm. That's kind of what it feels like. The implications are huge. And of course, it's so much more than that as well. Yeah, it is. I mean, I think the example I appreciated was um, the one around driverless cars. So if we were to have driverless cars, AI would be the way that we're able to do that. So the implications for liabilities, yep. so who's responsible if there's an accident, all of that, the flow and effect of that. There's also a big conversation about copyright. Yep. So we've got even locally here, the leaders of Nine, the leaders of News Corp have actually joined together this week to push for payments from AI firms that they say have trained their systems on content that they create. So you can see yeah. it's so complex. Yeah. Altman did try and tackle a bit of this in his recommendation on regulation. Yeah, so there's a three-point frame framework. Um, One is for a new government agency in the United States that would license these large AI models. Um, Also, revoke those licenses if they're Mm. not complying with a certain standard that's been set. Um, Second is to create safety standards for AI models. That's really important because some of these technologies aren't just about the internet and driverless cars. They're actually in defence. They're in health health systems, like all sorts of things. Um, The threshold seems to be about whether these AI machines can self-replicate. And then this is the term I love infiltrate into the wild <laughs> which go rogue this basically. is like i mean it's zombie apocalypse territory now it is but it is the going rogue thing has been yeah a, a real topic of conversation blows my mind yeah and yeah. i guess we lean into the the information conversation because it's the work that we do yeah um so it's kind of what interests us third point yeah to wrap that oh, up sorry, audits yes. so having experts be able to come in it's a whole basic framework that pretty much a lot of anything that's really important in our lives, have some kind of licensing, some kind of auditing, all of that sort of system. What Altman is saying is move quickly. Yeah, do this right now. We Mm. need this right now. Um, So from here, Congress then considers those recommendations and then I guess they have to agree on something. And I reckon that won't be done as quickly as many probably want. Mm. It's probably going to take, like the rest of the world, any lawmakers quite a bit of time to get their head around. And I think to anyone listening going, what on earth? Earth are you all talking about? You really do have to use this chat GPT or BARD and, and see for yourself yeah. to start to understand, to enter into the conversation. So we'd encourage you to go and give it a try yep. um, so that you can understand what we're talking about when we say it's like a human talking to you um, and answering your questions. Yeah. And it's um, a very unique way of discovering information and uncovering information. Claire, the other thing that we I feel like we should touch on because we, over the course of Saturday Squeeze, have talked about TikTok a yeah. lot. Um, um, the state of Montana this week 
actually banned it, not just on government devices, mm. entirely. Mm. TikTokers in Montana aren't that happy. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> That's what I saw. Um, but, of course, what the government says is that it's just too dangerous. They just don't want to have it. And any apps or app stores that are actually making it accessible in Montana – now could potentially face fines of $10,000 a day. Yeah, so, so you, the, the person using it, the TikToker, yeah. won't be fined, but they're going to try and regulate like Google and Apple from having it on their app yeah. stores. Um, it's just an interesting development in the TikTok conversation mm. um, and sort of closes out our tech section of this podcast nice. today. <laughs> On to what's coming up. Coming up this week, Claire, is actually um, what's not coming up, and that's the, the quad meeting. Yeah, no Joe Biden coming to Sydney, no cuddling with koalas. So sad. Imagine how many people had prepared for this. Yeah. You know, the food, the logistics, yeah. the koala cuddling. Party pies in the freezer. Yeah, I'm not sure about I don't know. Do you reckon? <laughs> There'd be some snacks anyway that no Mentos. longer are for use. So, yeah, all the Mentos. That's, Imagine. A, that's a good conference, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, what he has to do is he'll do the G7 meeting in Japan mm-hmm. over the weekend and then he is heading home. Lots of discussions that he needs to take part in in the week coming up about raising the US government debt ceiling. Claire's got her very serious face on because it's very serious. I am ready. They're about to run out of money. <laughs> and I mean, the thing that I learned in all of this is it sounds very doomsday. And if that yeah. happens, there's so many scenarios where, you know, recessions around the world and the flow on effects and people won't receive their money, what whatnot. Yeah. Um, they kind of go through this. The US government. Yeah, so it's happened 78 times since 1960 that they've raised the debt ceiling. Mm. There's quite often been these flashpoints around these negotiations between the parties to actually agree to do that because it's political. It's more political than mm. it is economic. Which I promised a politics-free podcast. Yeah, so, so let's just that. leave that there. Okay, let's just leave that there. But I think it's important to give the context. So the Republicans are saying, look, the debt, you're reaching the debt ceiling because you've spent too much money. Let's cut some stuff. Cut some stuff. It's the way that they can actually influence the political agenda mm. and the economic agenda uh, by using that firm hand that they have on actually passing laws through the Congress. Uh, as we've talked about a lot, the president doesn't actually have the power to do that. So he needs agreement. And this is where they're at. So he's hot-footed it back to the US. He skipped the quad. Yep. He says this is his priority. He's gone back to do that. Um just to be devil's advocate, I guess, in all of this, and I kind of touched on it when I said what I said earlier, like, are they really going to run out of money or are they? is it all just politics? Like, <laughs> Oh, look, it's very political. There's no doubt about that. But there's also plenty of pundits saying that there are some serious issues in the US economy that need to mm. be dealt with, particularly the levels of government spending. So it's not a bad discussion to have. Uh, and also then when you're heading into a presidential campaign, there's that other overlay of politics that it is sort of a moment that the Republicans can actually, you know, start setting their presidential messages around being the responsible adults, that the Democrats just spend money. It's just one of those yeah. flashpoints and moments in time. And so, scary for people who depend on it. So when you think yeah. about people who are receiving government payments and all of that, to have the news reporting that, you know, sometime around the early June, we could actually not be able to pay you anymore yeah. is quite something. Oh, and for international markets. So... Yeah. The international global scene is still pretty shaky. Uh, Markets operate on confidence. If there's this big deadline looming that the biggest economy in the world might not be able to pay its debts, then, of course, 
it has effects on that as well. So the more certainty that a lot of people can get, the better it's going to be for everyone. Long story short, it's going to be in the news next week. So just a heads up on that. The other thing that might get a bit of traction tomorrow, 21st of May, is one year since the Albanese government was elected. Uh, It's also a big day for the squeeze. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, It's Chardonnay Day on Thursday this week, Claire. Cheers to you Chardonnay drinkers. (laughs) I don't understand you. I never will. When Uh, was Savvy B Day? Only a couple of weeks ago. So, yeah, look, each to their own. Have a drink, enjoy it. I'm just surprised it didn't make its way into Saturday Squeeze. <laughs> no, it didn't. I celebrated that with my fellow Savvy B drinker, Sammy J. We oh. did that on ABC Radio a couple of weeks ago. He's a Savvy B drinker. You don't know everything sense. that I do. I no, I you. don't. I don't. Claire, before we get stuck into Squiz Recommends, we actually have a message from our advertiser on this week's podcast, Visit Canberra. Those who tuned into Squiz today this week might have heard that we have a partnership with them across the next couple of weeks to encourage Squizzers to consider a trip to the nation's capital. Kate, you and I both lived in Canberra and food and wine are a huge part of mm. what makes Canberra great. You just can't eat badly in Canberra. And as we know, Squizzers love food, so that should be a hook. It also, Claire, gets a bad rap for for being cold in Canberra. A lot of mm. talk about that at the moment, but it's a beautiful place, especially on those crisp, clear winter days, great hikes, so much outdoorsy stuff to do. And then you can rug up with a glass of red wine in the evening. Yeah, I'm for that. Like white wine, like red wine. <laughs> Go for the occasion. Uh, of course, there's all that cultural stuff as well. Portrait Gallery, Questacon for the family. I love Questacon. Yeah, so much stuff. I guess it's one of those places you visit where you'll have a great time, but you'll also come away more informed, like you learnt some stuff as well. Long story short, from wine and food to our most iconic cultural institutions, Canberra really has it all. It's waiting for you. We'll put a link in our episode notes to learn more about why you should consider Canberra as your next weekend away. Squeeze recommends, Claire, I mentioned it's Chardonnay Day on Thursday, Mm -hmm. so let's go there. Um, I recommended my favourite Chardonnay a few weeks ago. We'll put a link to it in your episode notes. It's $26 a bottle, though. You found something a lot cheaper. Yeah, and even more probably useful, I found an interesting article from Huon Hook, who's a renowned wine critic. He says that de Bordelais Sacred Hill range, which comes in at under five bucks a bottle, is a steal. He says that it stacks up really well against the $20, $30 bottles. One of the best nights I've had with some mates is where we blindfolded ourselves mm. and tested the prices of wines and whether we could actually pick the difference between a $5 yeah. and a 20 I could pick the difference between a $5 and a $20, but once you get 20 to 40 to 50 Awesome. Yeah, and that's what this um, this article is saying is that getting a really good under ten dollar bottle of wine is a bit of a trick. Okay. So yep. it's well worth sorting out that range. De Bordelais, of course, is a great wine brand that's based in Griffith in New South Wales. So, yeah, well done to them. We'll put a link to that in your episode notes. Um, The other recommendation we've got this week is a couple of long reads about Jason Day and Sam Kerr. Both of them have had really big weeks in the news. Yeah, huge weeks. And you and I agreed that whether you're into sport or whether you're Mm. not into sport, they're both real characters and certainly people in Australia that are worthwhile knowing a bit about. Um, Just a bit on the backstories, Kerr is... Without a doubt, according to me, anyway, <laughs> the world's best soccer player. Yep. So good luck to her. She's a really interesting girl as well. Um, she was in the news this week because she scored the only and the winning goal for Chelsea in the Premier League final. Really good um, commentary around how she just does the best things in the big moments. Yeah. And that's what sets her apart. Jason Day is another Aussie that is kicking a lot of goals, but not goals, golf 
balls in holes. I don't know. What hitting he a lot of I don't know. Balls. I don't know. I don't hitting know. a lot of balls, whatever he's doing. Um, he won his first PGA event in five years. He did it on Mother's Day, yeah. which was a really big deal for him because he lost his mother last year. It got me revisiting his story, though, Claire. He's mm. from Bow Desert in Queensland. Mm. His dad was an alcoholic. He died when Jason was 12. Yeah. He went down a similar path. So he went down a path of, you know, poor behaviour. and Booze. Yeah, and, all yeah. of that. Pulled himself out of it. Became one of the best golfers in the world. He's also about to have his fifth child. I don't 30? know what's the bigger challenge. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Looking kids. after five kids or oh. being the world's best golfer. Yeah. Good luck to him. He's really someone worth knowing oh, about. I, I think his story is incredible. Yeah, we'll put a link to that in your episode notes as well. Watching the ABC's Back with the ABC of with David Wenham. Is second season? Now? Second season, yeah. yeah. So it kicked off last year as really a tribute to ABC in its 100th yeah, yeah, it was, you'd remember it did a lot around its centenary. Uh, and what they do is they dive into the archives of the ABC. David interviews a really prominent Australian and they pull their archival footage out and look back on their life and their story and all of that. Um, Julia Gillard was the episode to kick off the new season. Uh, she was in the news a little bit as a result of that interview because she said she would have done quite differently on same sex. Of mm. course, she didn't want to change the Marriage Act, so... Of course, a whole lot of time has passed now and she says that she would have handled it differently uh, if she was doing it today, of course. Um, David, I really like watching him do these interviews with political figures because he's not a journo and he's not even necessarily a political news hound. He talks to them differently and as a result, it's a different interview. It's really interesting. I love interview shows, so um, I'll definitely be watching that week on week. Um, And I cooked again. Last weekend? Now, I heard that. So, like two or three weeks in a row. This is amazing. I know. Give me a go. What's it about? Well, I just read, I was reading The Australian and I read this recipe that said, throw all this together, put it in the oven, you're done. (laughs) That's your kind of thing. Which is exactly what happened. So, it's a naked coconut citrus tart, I think is what it's called. And it really is lots of things you would have in your cupboard, throw it in, oven for an hour and a beautiful, sweet Dessert for post-lunch. Yeah, so a tart without all the fussy pastry and yeah. delicious. You yeah. really liked really it. Liked well it. done. There you go. This is very encouraging. Thank you. <laughs> Squeeze Press, Claire, uh, I alluded to it earlier. Tomorrow is five years since we started the Squeeze Today podcast. I reckon we should do an episode just on how we did the podcast. Maybe. You know what we shouldn't do? recommend people listen to the first episode of Squeeze Today. (laughs) (laughs) That is definitely true. We were so amateur. Oh, boy. And look, it is really just a a big thank you to everyone. (laughs) To paint a picture of what you were in your bedroom, I was in my bedroom separately in our own homes. We had pillows all around us. Um, We did. And we were quite nervous to put something out into the world that was, you know, something we'd never done before ever. Yeah. Um, oh, and I clearly think, I think you did as well. Like it took us actually two or three weeks just to get used to our own voices. Yeah. Just hearing that back is such a weird thing. Yeah. And look, 
I don't think we were that great at it, but thank you so much to anyone who's been listening from day dot and we hope we've gotten a little bit better. Um, so yeah, please don't go and listen to the first episode of Squiz My Today. My favourite thing of the Squiz Today podcast with you um, was you calling Argentina Argentinia. <laughs> still is one of my favourite things There was ever. also a time when we published an episode with like six minutes of dead air at the end <laughs> and then us having a little chat. That was in the early <laughs> days too. Oh, you live and learn. I know. I remember I got an email from a friend saying, by the way, did you know your podcast is 15 I minutes long today and six that. minutes of it is nothing? I do remember that now. <laughs> Hilarious. Oh, we've had a really good time. Thank you so much for coming with us. And um, as always, get in touch with any feedback, any recommendations you've got. Um, we always love hearing from you. Enjoy your weekend and we'll be back next week. Mm-hmm.